take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 2. We kind of close out this mini-series, if you will, on Advent. We have been talking about that for the last two weeks, not in our Malachi series. We'll return to that in the new year. But we do want to think about the coming of our Lord again this morning as we are in this Sunday before Christmas. I do want to remind those who are out in the foyer, and some, for various reasons, sit out there, uh, that when we come to the end of this sermon, and it will be a shorter sermon than normal, there will be a, uh, we'll come to the Lord's table as a part of this tying the birth and the, and the purpose of his, that birth happening, his coming together. And the Lord's Supper will just be served inside here in the sanctuary. So when, when they get close to the end of the sermon, start preparing for the Lord's Supper, I encourage you that are in the foyer uh, listening and watching on the screen out there to move in uh, and find a seat in here. The ushers will help you find a seat and share in the Lord's Supper with us at that time. Take your Bibles and turn with me again to Luke chapter, Luke chapter 2. Excuse me, Luke chapter... Yeah, lost my place here. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. I'm sorry. I've got a reference in Luke chapter 2 and it's throwing me off. Luke chapter 1. Beginning in verse 26. Hear the word of the Lord. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement. And kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall name him Jesus. He will be great. And will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him a throne, the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be? For I'm a virgin. The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child will be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing, nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold the bondservant of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. How many times have you heard that? How many times have you heard it read? How many times have you seen it enacted in nativity plays? How many times have you heard it sung about, talked about during Christmas? I mean, it is such a, a familiar story with us that, that so often we let that which becomes so familiar, so commonplace, be, become just absolutely meaningless in our thinking. But we need to understand that in these verses, we have the announcement of the most marvelous event that ever happened in the world. 
We have the announcement here of what is about to take place that is going to change the entire course of human history. We have here an announcement that causes Mary to ponder, that causes Mary to stand in awe, that causes Mary to be in wonderment about what is being said. I mean, what we have in these verses that we just read is one of the most awe-inspiring, one of the most magnificent passages in all of the Word of God. God, help us if we let it become commonplace. God, help us if we let it become just another reading of another Bible story at another time of the year that just kind of goes in one ear and out the other. The, the thing that is taking place in this passage is a magnificent revelation of God's will, a ma magnificent revelation of God's purpose for all time, for all history, of all the universe. And what is being recorded here by Luke very meticulously and very carefully is a picture of God's grace, is a picture of God being a God of purpose and a God of determination. What we have in these, in these verses is a picture of God who is a God who's going to save his people from their sin, even though what he's talking about is a baby that has not yet even been born or not yet even been conceived. But God is a God who has planned and purposed this and has prepared the way. What a marvelous God Luke is presenting to us in this encounter with that virgin Mary. Now we've all heard the story of Mary the virgin. I'll never forget the first time I had it challenged. I was just a college student and for some reason it was in an English literature class that we were sitting there reading various things, excuse me, American literature class in the English department. And uh, we were reading stories, reading different writings and everything, and we came to the point of reading Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Now, I'm not real sure why the virgin birth came up uh, with that particular professor because we were reading Sinners in the Hands of an angry, angry God. There are a lot of other things that it seems like he could have brought up. But he began to challenge this whole concept of a virgin conceiving and having a baby. Uh, you know, and he threw out all the old stories, all of the old theories. He, he started with saying, you know, the word that's used here for, for virgin, that's translated many times for virgin, is a mistranslation. It's really a word that just means young woman. But the full, the full definition of the word that's used that can be young woman, but it's always referring to a young, young woman of virtue, i.e., a virgin. So it, it's a legitimate translation to understand that what Mary is saying here. Is, is that she is a virgin. She has never known a man. She's never had relations, which is what she's talking about here. How can this be? He talked about how a Roman soldier had, had, had sexually violated Mary and really had born a child and had tried to, to cover that up by saying, oh, it's a virgin birth. And also, I mean, on and on he went. A lot of challenges. But the truth of the matter is, no matter how many secular challenges come to this, the, the Word of God is fairly clear that something miraculous, something, okay, unbelievable almost, is taking place. And if you take God out of the equation, if you take the Trinitarian, triune, holy God out of this equation, it is unbelievable. Biology just doesn't work that way. But Luke is making it very clear through his meticulous recounting of what took place in this episode that this is no ordinary time, this is no ordinary event, this is God intervening in human history with a specific purpose of saving his people. 
Why Mary? Why that young girl who was obviously one who was a, a person of faith, obviously one who was, who was a Jewish maiden, but, but nothing remarkable about her that we find in, in, the, in the coming of the angel Gabriel to her. There's, there's nothing about her being so uh, super spiritual or a, 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 a unique individual in any way. There's certainly nothing in Scripture about her having been conceived in some kind of miraculous conception that, that caused her to have this particular miraculous conception. There's no scriptural evidence of that whatsoever. She is favored and she's to have a place in, in Christian history that is, a, is an honored place, but not a venerated place, not a worshipped place in Christian history. She's a young woman. A young woman who seemingly is minding her own business when all of a sudden God sends the angel Gabriel to her and says, Oh, favored one, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. I mean, that's just a statement of grace. God has favored you, Mary. God has chosen you. For a specific purpose. Mary wasn't looking for this. Mary didn't go out and say, oh, I, I think I want to bear the Son of God. It would be foolish to think that. God chose her out of all that he could have used in that day and said, and Gabriel says, you're the favored one of God. When she pondered this, was somewhat perplexed by it, kind of confused by it, the angel said to her, don't be afraid, don't, don't lose your focus here, Mary. For you have found favor with God. God is going to use you, Mary, for the most significant, most important, most fantastic event in all of human history. And he has chosen you, a young maiden, a young virgin, to do just that. And then he talks about this one. He said, the, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. You will conceive in your womb, and you will bear a son, and you will call him Jesus, Yeshua. Joshua, the one who will save his people from their sins, he is a savior by his very name. I mean, in, in, in Mary and Joseph's day, the, the tradition was you pretty much named the son after their father. And yet here is one giving a name, being given a name that is not a family name, but a name that expresses not just something about God, but something about the one who is to be about to be born he says, he will, you will conceive and bear this son and name him Jesus, and he will be great. He will be called the son of the most high, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of, of Jacob forever. I had Brother Ricky read that passage out of, out of Isaiah chapter 9 just a bit ago, where it's talking about the prophecy of the coming of the king, the coming of this baby. And he says, you know, a child will be born, a son will be given, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, and there will be no end to the increase of his government of a or of peace. In other words, he's an eternal king. He's not like the earthly kings they knew about. There were uprisings who overthrew kings and, and emperors in their day. There were kings who rose to power and kings who came down just as quickly. And 
Isaiah is telling us that this one that is a child, this one that is born in that manger on that first Christmas morning, in that at first Advent expression, the king who will rule forever and ever and ever. He will be called the Alpha and the Omega. He'll be called the Prince of Peace. He'll be called the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And his throne, his reign, will have an eternal nature to it. It will never, ever end. Now, you think Mary was perplexed just by being told she was going to become pregnant. What do you think Mary thought about when he starts enumerating all of these things that the baby that she was going to bear would be? He will be called Wonderful. He will be called Great and the Son of the Most High. He'll reign and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary's response to that was, What? Well, that's my translation. How can this be? Since I'm a virgin. You know, if nothing else, there's the expression of of why this word doesn't mean just some kind of young maiden, some kind of young woman. Mary herself said, there's no way this can happen. I am pure. I am innocent. I I am a virgin. I've not ever known a man. How can this be? In our day, I think it's kind of like the title of my sermon, Born of a Virgin, really? I mean, Mary kind of had that same attitude at that point. Really? I mean, you look like an angel. You don't see white robes or wings that are necessarily there. and You're, you're a man, but, but you look like an angel. You speak with authority as one who comes from God. But how can this be? And then the angel answered her. I love the Trinitarian nature of, of the angel's answer to her. The angel answered her and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Holy Spirit of God will come upon you. How did that happen? I, I don't know. What transpired exactly to bring about this, this, this virgin conception of the Lord Jesus Christ? The scripture doesn't tell us the mechanics of it. doesn't tell us the depths of it. It just tells us what happens. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High, the power of God the Father will overshadow you and for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. In verse 35, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In verse 35, a clear expression of the nature and the unique nature of the God which we worship and the God which we serve. He is Trinitarian, He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is one God three persons mystery listen you think the mystery of a virgin birth is big the mystery of the triune god even overshadows that mystery but the triune god is the expression that is taking place in this virgin conception and birth of the lord jesus christ i love verse 35 because of that trinitarian expression says, even your, even your relative, Elizabeth, who's in her old age, been called barren for all these years. She's now in her sixth month of pregnancy. She's about to have a son herself. That son is going to be the forebearer, the messenger that goes before the Messiah, 
the messenger that is the voice crying in the wilderness, the messenger who says, you know, behold the Lamb of God there at the River Jordan, the messenger says, that's the one to follow. He is the one. He must increase. I must decrease. The relative Mary is about to have a son that nobody thought would ever happen. Because you see, verse 37, nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. Virgin birth, it's a piece of cake. A barren woman in her old age, much like Sarah in the Old Testament, having a child, no big deal. Not with God. Because nothing is impossible with Him. And, and that brings it to bear on everything about the whole redemption story that this Advent story begins. Nothing is impossible. Can he save a people from their sin? Yes, he can. Yes, he does. Yes, he will. Can, can he give us new life in Christ, this baby who's born, who grows up and, and expresses a, a ministry and dies on a cross and raises from the dead? Can he give new life in him that changes us out of darkness into light? Yes, he can. Yes, he does. And yes, he will. For with God, nothing is impossible. Oh, you know the people I work with. You don't know the people in my family. You don't know some of my friends and neighbors. Boy, they could never come to faith in Christ. They could never have a new life experience, a new birth experience. Why? Why, they're pagans of the worst order. With God, nothing is impossible. See, a big part of the problem is many times is, is, is they're not believing because they're not hearing and they're not seeing the gospel lived out. The reason a lot of times they're not hearing and they're not believing is because they're not seeing in us, you and me, the same attitude that Mary had when this angel perplexed her, confused her, scared her, did all those things. When it comes right down to the end, after Gabriel has said, this is what's going to happen this is how it's going to happen. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and the power of the Most High is going to overshadow you and you're going to conceive by His grace and by His power and you're going to bear a son who's going to be known as great and wonderful and mighty warrior, mighty counselor, prince of peace. Mary didn't say, oh, no, <laughs> that's not for me. You know, Lord, if, if that happens, I'm going to have a lot of explaining to do. I'm going to have to go to a lot of people and say, well, yeah, this is really what happened. And, and they're not going to believe that. I've got a fiancé. I'm engaged, betrothed to a man who is a good man. And he's going to think I've been doing things that I shouldn't have been doing. And how am I going to explain that to him? I don't know, Lord. I, this is going to be really embarrassing for me. Many times when God places us in divine appointments to share the grace of God, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, we say, oh, that's going to be embarrassing. Oh, this person's not going to accept it. They're not going to like it. They're, not going to, they're, going to think, they're going to think I'm pushing my religion on them if I tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of God to save. They're, they're going to, if I share the gospel with them, they're going to think, oh, he's just such a, or she's just such a, a religious fanatic. Mary didn't say, no, it's too embarrassing, Gabriel. 
Don't be too difficult, Gabriel. Here's what she said. Behold, the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. Is that what God wants out of my life, Mary said? Then that's what I want to do. If that's what God has chosen me for and called me for, then that's what I want to do. It's a statement of submission here, folks. It's a statement of uh, of saying, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Not what's more convenient for me, but what you want in my life, Lord. Be it inconvenient, be it embarrassing, be it difficult, whatever it is, Lord. Let it be done to your bond servant, your doulos. Your doulos, your slave, the one who is submitted to you and committed to you and you're my Lord and I belong to you you've bought me with a price Lord I want to be I want to do and be what you've called me to be Mary said I submit to let, letting seeing God do unto me all that's according to your word now Mary had an angel come I realize that I'm sure a lot of us would sit there and say, well, now, you know, if God sent an angel to me, then, then that'd be another matter. I'd, I'd certainly say, just like Mary, oh, whatever, be unto me as it, whatever your will is. I mean, if God would just send me an angel tonight in my bedroom and say, listen, this is what God's purpose and plan is for your life, you'd say, oh, I'll do it. Dare I say that God's done better than that? given us his word and in his word he lays out his will you know most of us spend most of our time saying oh, I just wish I knew what God's will was I'd do it we don't spend time in the word saying Lord what is your will for me I mean most of most of God's will for your life is revealed in his words you know that I didn't tell you where to go to college didn't tell you who to marry but those are really the insignificant ones you know Remember what Paul said. What Paul said to the Thessalonian Christians. My pages will work. You know, he's, he's leaving them and he's getting ready to, to close this letter out. And he says, listen, rejoice always. Now, rejoicing is not just some kind of phony, happy smile. Rejoice always means put your trust in him and know that he's in control. And no matter what the circumstance is, he's in charge. Rejoice that God's in control. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And in everything, give thanks to him who is your provider, who is your God. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. Now listen to this this phenomenal statement. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's God's will for you in Christ Jesus. 
I submit to you that if we submit to this, rejoicing always, seeing him as always in control, trusting him as being in control, trusting him to work things out for his glory and for our good, if we pray without ceasing, really believe that we can go before him and ask of him and worship him and praise him in prayer, not just on Sunday morning for an hour or so in here, but everywhere we go, everywhere we are, praying, trusting him. Giving Him thanks, even when things aren't just like we want them to be, but knowing that He's using that for our good, our growth, our shaping. I kind of think we submit to that as God's will and and seek to, to make that our life's mission. All these other things will work themselves out. What college to go to, who to marry. It's all centered around trusting Him and walking in Him. It's all centered around knowing who He is and submitting to the one who's worthy of our submission. Mary said, this is almost too much to believe. But if that's what God desires in my life, then so be it. I love what J.C. Ryle said. 1800s England wrote when talking about Mary's response here and then our response to God and his will. Ryle said, all disputations, all arguing with God after his will is known arise from infidelity. There is not a more noble proof of faith than to to captivate all the powers of our understanding and will to our creator. And without any questionings, to go blindfold where he will lead us. That's what Mary did. All her will and all her thinking, all her understanding was brought in captivity to Christ. All thoughts made captive to Christ, to God. She was walking down a road blindfolded. She didn't understand what was going to happen, how it was all going to work out, but she trusted that God was going to work it out. You know, when that baby was born and lay in a manger, he grew up. And, and the purpose for which he came in that manger became obvious. And that is, the cross was always behind the cradle. The cross was always in sight. The fact that he came and he gave great teachings and things like the Sermon on the Mount and other places and that he did great miracles and healing the blind and making the lame to walk and and raising Lazarus from the dead and feeding 5,000 people and and doing all of those and changing water into wine, all those things were were, were just magnificent miracles. But they were all preparing for what was about to come just about three years we're all preparing for the coming of the cross we come this morning this Christmas season and we dare not forget that the cross was always behind the cradle we dare not forget that it was for that purpose that that baby was born 
And we come to the Lord's table this morning as a remembrance and as a symbolic thing of of understanding what that death was all about. His body given for us, His blood shed for us, the blood of the new covenant that we might live. But on that night, just before the one who was a baby who went to His cross and to His death in our place, on that very night when, when... when he said to his disciples and he took the bread and broke it and took the wine and passed it among them, this is my body, it is given for you. This is my blood, it is shed for you to seal the new covenant in my blood. There's no real blood there that night. There's no real body on that plate. But it pointed to what was about to take place very soon. We come with a, with a benefit of not looking forward to it, but looking back on it. We come with the benefit that the disciples had after the resurrection, when they rejoiced in the reality that Christ was risen and it, that it was finished. Salvation had been accomplished. We come this morning to celebrate and to meditate on that great gift that was given in Jesus Christ in the manger to move to the cross and to the tomb and rise again and finally to ascend back into heaven from whence he came all for God's glory and all for our salvation Come to this table this morning to remember that. I invite you to share in this meal with us this morning if you're a believer. You trust in Christ. This is not the Grace Baptist meal or the Baptist meal. It's the Lord's Supper. If you're a disciple of His, I invite you to come to this table if you're in good standing with your church, your home church, to come and participate in this time together as we prepare for the Christmas season. If you're you're here and not a believer, just let it pass by. But think about what it stands for. The death and resurrection of the only Savior who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Would you pray with me? Your head's bowed and eyes closed in preparation for this Lord's Supper. Would you first of all just ask the Lord to prepare your heart for it? Whether that means by just dealing with some things in your life that's not pleasing with Him, with sin in your life, do that with Him right now. Perhaps it's a matter of Recognizing you've never trusted Christ and the Holy Spirit's working in you right now saying, come, follow me. Just be in prayer. Even as these elements are being passed, be in prayer. The Holy Spirit will show you His truth, show you His Word. Father, we prepare ourselves for this meal. Scripture says that on that night he took the bread and he took the wine and he blessed it. 
and he passed it among his disciples. Lord, we ask your blessings on this bread, your blessings on this fruit of the vine, that, Lord, it would, we would understand the beautiful and significant symbolism, the, the remembering of what took place on the cross. We pray in Jesus' name.